0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Well, here's an obvious question for you, Samantha. Do you remember the first time you were called a slut?
1: I don't know if I've ever been called a slut to my face. I think I've called <gasps> myself a slut.
0: See, I'm shocked by that.
1: Right. Um, I think a part of that was because I was so religious Mm. in uh, college um, and I was beyond pious at some point. So really, (laughs) really shameful on me, honestly, In that note. Um, But yeah, I don't think because also I've shared my stories of uh, my past trauma and abuse. So Mm -hmm. most of the people that I knew never really use that. Have I been called a bitch? A lot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but never a slut. Uh, and I'm trying why? to think. I think my friends and I have joked about it before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's yeah, no, mm-mm. I don't think I ever been. What about you? I can't. I was called a slut.
0: How old would I have been in sixth grade? I was called a slut in sixth grade, and I when I was nine, one of my cousins called me a slut. Um, I don't know why. I've talked about this before. And I think it's because I was struggling. I was clearly struggling with something. Um, that there, was this, there were these rumors that I was like on drugs and pregnant and all this stuff. So, uh, yeah, in sixth grade, a boy in class uh, like pointed at me and called me a slut in front of everyone. And at the time, there's this weird tightrope of... And I know we've talked about this, especially at that age where you're like, is it cool to be a slut? Right. Like, I should want sex, so is that bad, even though maybe I haven't had sex or don't want sex? And then there's the other side of like, well, I don't want people to think I'm having too much sex or is that going to be my thing? Is it going to be like a scarlet letter? And you have that moment of indecision of like, what's the cool thing at that age? So I remember kind of being like, so what? Um, yeah but you know inside i was panicking of like oh
1: no right what does this mean right i think i was known as definitely more of like the prude um as well as the fact that apparently i'm really intimidating but also again i was really religious growing up and i was very outwardly religious and people knew that about me so i don't think that typically was associated with me um Mm -hmm. and then by the time that i kind of was like oh this is not my life this is not what i believe anymore or whatever um, we were kind of adults at that point. So it just right. didn't, you know, it didn't really translate as much as mm-hmm. when I was in my development of being a young woman. So yeah, yeah. I think it's really... Uh, but again, yes, I've been called a bitch a lot. So that's the, <laughs> that's <mentioned>. the exchange. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I mean, we could... The, the dichotomy of like slut and bitch right. and how they sometimes intertwine is interesting too. And, you know, uh, we, we've we been talking about this a lot Lately, of language and language we use around women, and I've been watching a lot of a lot of horror movies, yeah. and there's a lot of calling of women of sluts in there. And I know in this classic episode, we're gonna share with you there are numbers about you know how many people are called sluts and how often it comes up in work or in school and what age groups and um, how it's used to punish women. But that it is interesting. Um, that I just assumed you'd been called a slut before, but you hadn't shame on me.
1: It's just a weird, like I think that is a common have I been slut shamed? yeah, yes, like uh, yeah. the i not necessarily because people shame me for having sex, but because of the level of uh religion that was placed in my life, having sex before marriage was always like. <gasps> And right. have I slut-shamed people? Absolutely. And that's, you know, my my horrendous past of like, not necessarily going after people saying, you're a sinner or whatever, but just like in the pious of like, I've never had sex till da 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 You know, yeah. that type of level of slut-shaming definitely was a yeah. part of my life and, and a part of my uh, growth of understanding. <laughs> this is not a thing. virginity right. is not a, a trophy. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know.
0: I've definitely, especially when I was in high school, I would judge I would judge other women. And sometimes it was just a passing, like a fleeting thing. But, you know, if, if there were like rumors that they were having sex with all these guys, which was, yes, very problematic and toxic. And that's what we teach girls, unfortunately. And I remember this moment so specifically when I was in college. And we were playing like Never Have I Ever. And this woman who I just adored and was so impressed by uh, she said, never have I ever had sex. And we all kind of looked at her and we were like, and she said, you know what? Go big or go home. I guess I went home. And I love how she just embraced it and she wasn't <laughs> ashamed by it. She, I just like that. I loved her even more than I just was like, oh, this right. person is so great. And oh, yeah, um, I know she's not listening, but if you are, I remember that and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, we wanted to share with you this classic episode on slut-shaming. Please enjoy.
1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And welcome to Slut Shaming 101. Prepare to be shocked in a
3: probably a depressing way. Oh, let's not make it depressing. It's good for us to understand these kinds of things like slut shaming.
2: It is good. No, it is good. I I don't want to frame it in terms of like this whole episode is going to be full of information about shaming women. But it kind of is.
3: Yeah. But this is a topic we want to talk about because it is something that has come up a lot in past episodes it is brought up a lot in terms of the concept of rape culture. Listeners have requested it. Mm-hmm. And we did an episode way back when now on slut walks, mm-hmm. in which we talked about the etymology and the possible reclamation of the word slut. And we'll give you a brief primer on that just to quickly revisit it. But we really wanted to focus in on this concept of Slut shaming, because it is, I mean, by this point, it is a word that or term, I should say, that comes up so much. Some people even think that it's lost its meaning.
2: Yeah, that's right. It actually made it into the American Dialect Society's 2012 Words of the Year list in the category of most outrageous. Yeah, it defines slut-shaming as attacking a woman for socially stigmatized
3: sexual activity, to which I say American Dialect Society, no, it's not even, it's so much more than just that. And Ben Zimmer, though, who was writing for the American Dialect Society, traces it to 2006. So it does seem like it's it's a millennial term, for sure.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, Kristen, you indicated that that definition was a little bit... Limited, Yes. So let's turn to Andrea Rubenstein at Finally Feminism 101, who offers a succinct definition, but I still think it's a little more inclusive. She says it's the idea of shaming and or attacking a woman or girl for being sexual, having one or more sexual partners, acknowledging sexual feelings and or acting on sexual feelings.
3: Yeah, and it usually conforms to patriarchal norms, but it's also highly subjective, especially when it comes to things like clothing or simply expressing opinions or acting in any kind of way out in public that people can see. And I say this because um, slut is a word that comes up a lot in YouTube comments. And in Stuff I've Never Told You videos, yes, I talk about sex r- rather frequently, but it's I'm I'm rarely called a slut because it's assumed that I have sex, but rather just I'm a slut, a dumb slut, because I am dispensing information out of a female face.
2: And Kristen, your experience, I think, falls pretty in line with what Jessica Valenti wrote about in her essay. He's a stud. She's a slut. And she cites off, she ticks off all of these reasons why she has been called a slut. She says, I was called a slut when my boobs grew faster than others. I was called a slut when I had a boyfriend, even though we weren't having sex. I was called a slut when I didn't have a boyfriend and kissed a random boy at a party. I was called a slut when I had the nerve to talk about sex. I was called a slut when I wore a bikini on a weekend trip with high school friends. And then here's, here's really the kicker. She says... It seems the word slut can be applied to any activity that doesn't include knitting, praying, or sitting perfectly still, lest any sudden movements be deemed whorish.
3: Oh, but you could even be a slut if you're sitting perfectly still depending on what you're wearing or simply the shape of your body. Yeah, how just how your face looks. Yeah, or how your how your boobs and your hips and your butt look. Um so yeah, it's a lot it really revolves around keeping female sexuality and normative femininity in check via forms of overt and also subtle public and private shaming. So, of course, The most overt example of slut shaming is just (laughs) calling a girl who has had sex with one or one million people a slut. Yeah. But then there are also these more subtle forms of slut shaming, which is really where this more insidious type of rape culture starts to creep into our day to day. And one of the most egregious examples in the mass media happened a few years ago when The New York Times was reporting on the gang rape of an 11-year-old girl in Texas. And the article commented on how she, quote, dressed older than her age and wore makeup and fashions more appropriate to a woman in her 20s. So now that we've established that, that slut-shaming can take many different forms What is a slut? Where did this word come from? And honestly, Caroline, this is an etymology that I really enjoy, not because it's not terrible at all, but just because it hasn't always meant what it means today. And that kind of stuff always gets my brain really excited. So in 1386, we have the first use of the word sluttish in the English language in the Canterbury Tales to describe a lazily dressed
2: guy. Yeah, why you got to be so sluttish? Yeah. Take a shower. Iron your clothes. My mother's always telling me to iron my clothes. That's not really accurate. But by the year 1400, the word had already come to mean a slovenly woman, usually of a lower class, typically a kitchen maid, someone like a kitchen maid, and we pretty much hold on to this meaning as the primary meaning through the 18th century.
3: Yeah, and this is where uh, yield slang terms, uh, sluts wool for dust bunny and a sluts hole for a trash can, yeah, come into play. Love that. <laughs> yeah, I know, sluts wool does make me laugh. Uh, but by the time though, it takes a turn for the sexual, it's also a white woman focused insult due to racist assumptions about hypersexualized black women. Mm -hmm. So from the get go, this word has always been
2: laden with classism and racism. Right. And because in other words, there were already pre-existing notions about black women being super sexual. So in that in that way, calling them a slut wouldn't have been that heel checking that that it is for women who are supposed to be exhibiting normative uh, white heterosexual proper femininity.
3: Yeah. That, I mean, that was in the era when legally speaking, black women couldn't be raped. Right. I mean, that's, that was the extent of this, this kind of racist hypersexualization. And when we move though into the 20th century, in the 50s, for instance, sluts were just called tramps and slut shaming was absolutely happening, but in a confusing societal backdrop that we still have today, mm-hmm. but sex was just far more repressed because you had all of these sexy on-screen sex symbols. How many times can I say sex in one sentence? And you had, you know, dating culture is taking off. Teenage culture is blossoming. Mm-hmm. Kids are making out. They're necking and petting in the backs of cars down lover's lane. Uh-huh. But only, but not too much. You could, you could kiss a boy, but you still couldn't go too far. But you also had, you know, fashions with the, the cone-shaped bras and super tight sweaters. I mean, girls... You know, bodies were definitely on display and you wanted to be attractive and you and you wanted to be taken on a date. But you
2: you couldn't go you couldn't go too far because also the pill didn't exist at this point. Right. Yeah. And so without accessible birth control, slut shaming did have more tangible risks like getting pregnant. And this echoes back, though, to
3: our girls in gangs episode, because this was also the heyday of those girl gang movies that were which were really all cautionary tales about sluts. Right. Like, look at these women on motorcycles. They'll end up
2: going off a cliff, but not before Johnny's knocked her up. Yeah, all the loose women. Well, I mean, you, you still see that. It's such a trope in um, like horror movies that the girl who has sex is the first to get killed. Yeah. All the time. Um And so today the word slut is still a pretty confusing term. Because not only do you have men policing women for sexual activity or just appearing to be a person who exists in the world, but you also have girls calling other girls sluts and self-labeling as sluts. Uh, Using it as an in-group term. Hey,
3: slut. This was actually something that popped up in a recent episode of Modern Family, Mm -hmm. where the oldest daughter, Haley, who is the the prototypical fashionista, uh, a, a little bit ditzy, to say the least, was on the phone with her friend, and she was just, you know, they were calling each other slut back and forth over and over and over again, and... It was obviously used for comedic effect, but it was so cringeworthy for me sitting there watching it. And of course, she's sitting next to, to Alex, her feminist intellectual sister who's squinching up her nose. But I was like, oh wow, this is also, this is just happening too. This is not just on, on
2: TV. Well, no. I think I, I think I mentioned, I, I, I feel bad for always like saying negative things about my freshman. Uh, roommate in college but I, i mentioned her in our episode on the word bitch because i mentioned my discomfort with that word's use as a very casual sisterly greeting like i'm not cool with that i'm not down with that and i it was very much the same with her and with me and with the word slut she loved to greet her her bffs by calling them sluts, and that was just something that I was always just like, that's that's not a positive word. I don't care how you spin it. Like, I'll tolerate it. I'm not going to, you know, yell at you for it. Maybe I should have, but, you know, I didn't like it. Well, the interesting thing is, too, with all of this more recent
3: self-labeling and kind of adopting it as this in-group, hey, girl kind of term, is that in in the old days, we had good girls and tramps, but now we have this good versus bad Slut, where it's like, okay, I, I I'm, I'm such a slut. I have sex outside of marriage. Everybody knows it, but it's cool because I'm a good slut. I'll still be your friend. But there's still the bad slut that you can transgress into if you, I don't know, do something quote unquote out of line, and it's still all of this policing of sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, even even when say your freshman year roommate was calling her friends sluts. It wasn't ultimately that friendly because it was still like, hey, I know what you're doing. I'm watching. I'm watching. It's not
2: just saying, hey, slut, as a greeting. It's also that thing of like if you are getting together with your friends and you're talking about like, oh, I kissed a boy or I had sex with a boy or whatever. (laughs) You're such a slut. Laughing meant in a positive teasing way, but that's that's such like a little that's such a, a you know telling your dog to heal. Like I'm watching you, you're telling me about this sexual thing, and I'm gonna joke with you, and we're gonna high five like it's all kosher, but. I I've noticed that you're participating in sexual activity and
3: you better watch yourself. And speaking from experience in my 20s in particular, that kind of joking does get into your head. Mm -hmm. You internalize it as well. And I should just say me. (laughs) You know, that was something (laughs) that came up at a couple of points. So this is something, though, that Leora Tannenbaum has written about now in two books. The first one was Slut, Growing Up Female with a Bad Reputation, who really got this whole conversation going. And she referred to slut shaming as slut bashing. And she just came out with a new book. I'm not a slut slut shaming in the age of the internet. And it partially inspired this episode because it has reignited a lot of these conversations about slut shaming. And this question of uh, what does it mean that girls are now just calling each other sluts? And is it possible to reclaim this? So, Focusing in on what Tannenbaum terms that reciprocal slut shaming of girl on girl slut shaming. Why? Why
2: does it happen? Why would we do that to our lady compatriots, Caroline? Well, she says that it's a grasp for power in a patriarchal culture. She says it's basically a cheap and easy way to feel powerful. If you feel insecure or ashamed about your own sexual desires, all you have to do is call a girl a slut and suddenly you're the one who is good and on top of the social pecking order. So, I mean, it's the idea that, you know, we... A lot of people who argue to reclaim this word or words like it are saying that it's empowering, I'm empowering myself, but then you also have to keep in mind that you're you're claiming this word within this patriarchal structure that exists. Yeah, wherein
3: SLUT still very much and even a majority of the time still has the negative connotation of the right. direct, you know,
2: devaluing of women and girls. Right. Where women and girls are Policing each other for their degree and type and appropriateness of femininity. And Tannenbaum takes a really
3: intellectual approach to, to digging into this question of why, especially today, this kind of reciprocal slut shaming is happening. And at one point, she cites a French Marxist philosopher who talks about how femininity is an ideology And, quote, slut shaming is a hailing mechanism that transforms females into both disciplinary agents as well as feminine subjects. So she goes on to write, quote, observation becomes a mechanism of discipline and coercion. And she even gets into putting this in the framework of Jeremy Bentham's panopticon, where essentially now, especially with social media Mm -hmm. and smartphones and selfies, et cetera, et cetera, We're constantly being monitored, but Mm -hmm. we don't know we're being monitored. And yes, this is all through the framework of slut-shaming. Yeah, So we're in a slut-shaming
2: panopticon, Caroline. That's actually, that is literally this point is where I had to stop reading the excerpt of her book on salon.com because it just was getting so intense slash depressing. Not that I was like, this is too hard for me to read. It was more like, this is too upsetting for me to read because it's so true. The fact that we just in general have internalized the fact that we're being watched, that everything we do is on Instagram or Facebook or like creepshots.com or whatever, which thankfully is no more. Yeah. Well, websites like that things, places where people are posting terrible pictures or places where you're expected to post a, a good picture of yourself. And we've just internalized that this is natural and normal. But it also leads us to police others who aren't acting according to whatever sort of ephemeral law we think they should be acting according to. Yeah, because when
3: it comes to that uh, abiding by the rules of normative fe- femininity in today's rules, part of that is presenting attractive images of yourself, these like online personas that we have. Mm -hmm. But the line of the good slut versus the bad slut comes up a lot, for instance, with the revenge porn Mm -hmm. podcast that we did a while back, wherein uh, sexting is a common part of today's dating process. Right. And it's totally fine if you are in a relationship with someone and you send him Uh, or her, uh, a naked photo of yourself, that's being a good slut. If it ever gets leaked, though, or if you're not in a relationship with that person, then you're a bad slut. Then you are asking for everyone to see you.
2: Right? Exactly. And then, I mean, speaking about, you know, today's kids. Oh, kids these days. (laughs) Kids these days. And adults these days. Well, yeah, let's be honest. Uh, That leads us to this study that was done by UK think tank Demos, which examined the use of the words rape whore and slut in tweets and found that accounts with male names used one of those words more than 116,000 times, while accounts with female names did so more than 94,000 times. Yeah, this was reported on in Time magazine,
3: basically saying, hey, okay, here is social media proof that, yeah, women are calling each other whores and sluts and making
2: rape jokes or outright rapey comments to other women. Well, it, it's the norm. Yeah. It's become not, not just like a rape joke or saying like, oh, that test raped me or whatever, but uh, commenting and judge, commenting on and judging women's bodies is the norm. Judging women's sexuality, whether it's, it exists or not is the norm. And so, If you look at it in terms of like a who has the power and who's within that power, if if the people with the power are making this the norm, the people without the power are going to go along with it. And that's what these researchers found, which is that women are going along with this train in terms of calling other women sluts and whores. And I would say, too, that, again, like slut is
3: such a a powerful word because it is shorthand for. Completely and immediately devaluing someone. Right. Because of the classism and racism embedded in it and because of just how the worthlessness implied with it. At least when it comes to calling someone a whore or a prostitute, that person is, is earning a wage and money, <laughs> at least is wielding more economic yeah. power than a slut. Right. But let's dig a little deeper, Caroline, because we're talking about a lot of cultural forces at work, a lot of nurture, a lot of environment. But there are some people too who think that, hey, maybe slut shaming is just science. And we will talk about that when we come right back from a quick break.
2: And now, back to the show. Well, so before our break, we gave you a lot to chew on in terms of not only where the term slut came from and what it has meant over the ages, but really how people nowadays are using it To police others. And so let's get into some academic work that's been done on the theories surrounding sex, sexual power, and, yes, slut-shaming. Yeah, some
3: think, well, maybe this is just evolution at work. Maybe... Females naturally, I mean, females like in the, the natural world sense of the word, we slut shame each other for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And we talked actually about some of this research in our podcast not so long ago on Shine Theory when we referenced primatologist Sarah Hardy's research on female competition. Because, as we noted, the the longstanding scientific paradigm was that females were... Coy, passive objects of male competition. Man, men are the competitors. Women are the recipients. We're just hanging out on chaise lounges, <sighs> doing our nails. Fainting couches. Yes, wait, Keep- just waiting for a... For a male male to hop our way.
2: That's right. But it turns out that basically the, the study in the 1940s that a lot of that was based on was inaccurate. Yeah, poor methodology. And it turns out that primate
3: research has found that, surprise, surprise, females are actually quite competitive. And Hardy actually describes... Uh, the, the female species at one point as, quote, flexible and opportunistic individuals who confront recurring reproductive dilemmas and trade-offs within a world of shifting options. So ladies be crafty. <laughs> is that what that means? I think so. <laughs> I think
2: uh, I think that that's what that means. So slut shaming is a part of that.
3: Well, we are flexible and opportunistic and we are dealing with reproductive dilemmas and tradeoffs and perhaps... Slut shaming is just a trade off to deal with a reproductive
2: dilemma. Interesting. Okay. so, yeah, speaking of that competitiveness and that sexual power driven competition between women, we also talked about this issue in our Shine Theory episode, and this is coming from a study from McMaster University that was conducted by Tracy Villancourt and Anshul Sharma. Where they sent a plant into uh, basically a, a, cl- a lab or a classroom, where like they- a, like a human plant, or
3: like a <laughs> they, they sent a palm tree with sunglasses on.
2: Yes. Okay. Point taken. They sent a, a woman as a plant. She was, she was part of, she was in, in the, in the scam. She was helping run the scam. Uh, they sent this woman into this room where two female friends were sitting. And the female friends had been told, you're here as part of a study on friendship. What they did not tell the women was that they would be sending in this plant, this palm tree.
3: (laughs) This ficus wearing a
2: bikini. (laughs) Dressed either like in a T-shirt and jeans or in a low-cut tight blouse and a short skirt. And then they sent this woman in and they just sat back and watched because what happened, and you can pretty much, I mean, it's predictable. When the woman went in wearing a T-shirt and jeans and was like, hey, have you seen Professor So-and-so? The women were like, yeah, he's down the hall. Didn't think twice about it. When the woman went in, same woman, wearing the tight clothes, Oh boy, did the slut shaming hit the fan. Yeah. The participants turned
3: on her so quickly. Yeah, saying,
2: saying terrible things about her, rolling their eyes, making assumptions out loud that she was just going to go, you know, screw the professor or whatever. Interesting to see how that. Sexual competition, which is, I mean, unspoken, it's, it's not like directly happening, but that issue of sexual competition enters this situation so fast and furious. Yeah, the, the participant responses honestly
3: read like the intro to Sir mix baby got back. It was a
2: lot of, oh, my God, Becky. Yeah. Did you see her, well, her butt? I mean, again, using this language and these reactions to essentially discount her as a person. Yeah.
3: And so what these researchers think is going on is that slut shaming is guarding against mate poaching and ensuring access to sexual resources by limiting men's access Mm -hmm. so slut shaming uh, reciprocal slut shaming the girl-on-girl slut shaming serves possibly this horrible um by reproductive uh purpose solving that reproductive dilemma Mm -hmm. of hey you know what we need to keep him away from her because she's going to distract him away from us
2: yeah yeah and women do not like other women who they perceive to be sexually permissive.
3: Yeah, this um, came out of a study published recently in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships titled Birds of a Feather. Not when it comes to sexual permissiveness. And this was really interesting because it not only highlighted slut shaming, but also the sexual double standard that is intertwined with slut shaming.
2: Right. So these researchers basically presented uh, potential fictional friends to study participants and had them evaluate a bunch of different characteristics. And they found that for women and for non sexually permissive men, having sexually permissive friends was not desirable. And then they took it a step further and had these fictional
3: friends evaluated on levels like competence, emotional stability, warmth, and dominance. And across the board, the fictional sexually permissive men were seen as more competent and emotionally stable than the sexually permissive women. Essentially, there are lots of studies like this that have been done examining different kinds of sexual double standards at work where they simply interchange the names, you know, John Mm -hmm. or Joan for the same kinds of qualities. And we find that we're often far less comfortable with Joan. (laughs) Joan is always being sent to the corner. Poor Joan. Well, it is because that sexual permissiveness, which is just a fancy way of saying like, hey, yeah, I've hooked up with people, um, people who are honest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, I shouldn't just say that. People who are more open to maybe non-monogamous relationships and hookups and things like that. That was interpreted as a form of dominance. And so that the researchers think is what made the trait so undesirable for these fictional women,
2: even when being evaluated by sexually permissive women. I think that issue of dominance is so interesting. And I think that plays so well into that Evo Bio explanation of Well, not only the evo bio explanation, but also just our historical understanding of the word slut and what that means to different people. Because because if you're going to judge someone for sexual permissiveness or what you perceive to be sexual permissiveness, that means that he or in this case, she is not acting according to how you think she should be acting and maybe whether you want to be free to make these choices. Also, you're there could be some issue of being threatened by someone's behavior, being outside the norm, perhaps. I think there's maybe a, the threatening factor
3: at work and also, too, the fear of being associated with someone. It's like, well, if I'm hanging out with, quote unquote, slutty Joan, then maybe they'll think that I... I am like, jo- they all think I'm a Joan too. A gang of slutty Jones. No one wants to be a slutty Joan. Aww. But let's flip the script and talk about slutty John for a second. Because one of the more recent questions with this whole slut shaming thing is, well, can men be slut shamed? Because it's rather debatable because the the entire existence of slut shaming and this concept of slut shaming is based on the patriarchy And within that embedded in it to it is normative femininity Mm -hmm. and heteronormativity. Right. And all of as many women's studies buzzwords as you can fit into one sentence, Mm -hmm. all adding up to a sexual double
2: standard that is permissive for Johns and restrictive for Jones. Right. I mean, can men be shamed about certain behaviors or made to feel embarrassed? Yeah, sure. Yes. But in terms of this very specific realm that we're discussing right now in terms of calling them a slut. No men can't really be slut shamed in the same way that women are because you guys, the root of this word is it's a female gendered insult and man slut just arguably doesn't carry the same weight that calling a woman a slut does because, I mean, you mentioned the, the sexual double standard, Slut shaming sort of hinges on that. The idea that female sexuality is inherently bad and male sexuality is inherently awesome. Well, and this
3: was something that you and I, Caroline, were just talking about casually before the podcast in terms of the man slut not carrying as much weight because m- the threat of being labeled as a man slut or a man whore is that he's just probably not going to make a very good boyfriend. Mm -hmm. But if you are a woman and you are called a slut, then that means that your body is dirty and you're a bad person. You're a bad person. And that's someone who you probably shouldn't. you, You shouldn't even really be interested in having sex with that person because it's just, you know, used goods. Right. So there's so there's usually so much more to it. And. It's interesting, too, to look at the gendered language of sexually promiscuous people. And I'm pretty sure that we've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, but there is this often cited 1973 study looking at the words, <laughs> the gendered words for promiscuous people. They identified 200 in the English language relating to sexually promiscuous women and only 20 for men. <laughs> Just 20. And I would really love if there are any linguists listening, if you know of a more recent study or if you could just conduct (laughs) an updated study. I want
2: to know. There is one slightly more updated, but still dated study from 1994 in Finland that identified 400 Finnish words for promiscuous women and only 120 for promiscuous men which often tended to be more tolerant. And I laughed out loud when I got to the part where they were listing various terms for men and women. And men had names like boar and stallion, but women were called village whores. Yeah. And I, from the, from the sheer surprise of it, just laughed out loud because they, they don't play around. They cut right to the chase on that one. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, you have men could be men could be called pimps. Which again, that's reflective of his ownership of other women, right. players. Similar thing, Casanovas and Don Juan's. That sounds uh, that has an air of romance, like Johnny Depp. Yes, you're just a Johnny Depp. I mean, at worst, you can call a man a dog, but a lot of times too, those those male pointed insults usually have some kind of female ricochet effect back to say. A mother or a son
2: of a or a, you know, whatever kind of word I can't say on the podcast. Right. But I mean, even the word dog, however derogatory you mean it or you intend it to be, it's still more of a way that he's treating other people rather than a commentary on how many people he's having sex with.
3: Yeah. I mean, there is no what what's a word for a male mistress.
2: There is none. You know? Yeah. Kept man. Even that sounds even like that? I just envision pools and cabanas. So it doesn't even seem that bad.
3: So, so even in our slut shaming language, it's still so female focused. Um, although we did find a 2013 dissertation written by Michael Flood called Male and Female Sluts Shifts and Stabilities in the Regulation of Sexual Relations Among Young Heterosexual Men. Whew. Yes. There's a lot. There's a lot in that title. Um, and he was focusing though on College men in Australia, and his research did find concerns among those Aussie blokes of being labeled a male slut.
2: Yeah. And so he proposes that this concern itself signals a slight weakening of the sexual double standard and an increased policing of male sexual behavior, which to that I say, great, but I'll believe it when I see it.
3: I mean, well, it's I mean, the key words there is a slight weakening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I do think hearing especially from men directly on YouTube, because that's where I hear the most directly through it via comments. There is a lot of there there is a lot of concern out there. I think that men men feel policed in certain ways as well, but it's almost the reverse. It's more. Uh, You're not having enough sex. Yes. Yes. A feeling like they need to meet up to these standards of masculinity rather than, you know, being like, what if I what if I don't want to hook up all the time?
2: But I mean, there's also like if you look at all the cultural and social ideas behind calling a woman a slut. Uh, policing her sexuality. If you look at like Rush Limbaugh talking about Sandra Fluke and her, uh, campaign for birth control, affordable birth control. I mean, (laughs) one writer, I can't remember if it was Valenti, but one writer brought up the fact of like, okay, well, if men and young boys are being encouraged to go out and have all the sex and women are being told that they're bad people if they go out and have any sex or even think about it, like what, what's happening in that, in that interim? Like, who are these women that men are supposed to go out and be so virile with? And like, what are women like? Who's <laughs> nobody's talking? Let's, let's talk about this. What's in the middle ground? Yeah. I mean, and this is where we get to the impact of slut shaming because I think
3: that middle ground is a lack of sexual communication, mm-hmm. issues with consent of people not knowing. We're so often, especially in U.S. culture, mm-hmm. I'll be very interested to hear from international listeners about this. We are so. Openly sexual and yet so simultaneously repressed that it—I mean—I think it wreaks so much havoc in the bedroom or the backseat or wherever yeah. sex, sexual contact is happening.
2: It leads to so many kind of nasty expectations on both sides. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is—it is absolutely a lose-lose situation for women
3: and men alike because it is constantly reinforcing the sexual double standard, and it also handicaps healthy sexual exploration and growth in young women who are terrified of being labeled sluts to the point that they're not even going to masturbate because they feel like that's going to make them... This thing,
2: right? Sturdy thing, yeah. And that also means that you're getting a lot of ill informed kids out there who are afraid of STDs, but who might end up contracting them because they don't have, they're not equipped with the right info. And it also is going to inhibit sexual communication and disclosure between partners, or just between friends or healthcare providers, and engaging in other kinds of sex that isn't penis and
3: vagina intercourse that would therefore constitute sluttish behavior in the right. modern sense of the term and thinking that that's not sex as well. So it's, it, yeah, it it, it just, it, we really just have this <laughs> this brimming sluts hole <laughs> of garbage <laughs> thanks to this thing. And of course we have to talk about it in the context of rape because slut shaming quickly spirals into victim-blaming.
2: Right. Yeah. The thought that, oh, she's she's dressed a certain way. She's acting a certain way. She looks a certain way. So, you know, she deserves whatever bad thing happened to her. You know, if the girl in Steubenville who was drunk and so she somehow deserved to be sexually attacked. Exactly. Women always have to not only pol- apparently
3: police other women's bodies, but police their own body yeah. as well. We are constantly in charge of it. We we are both the prisoners and the guards of our own panopticons, Caroline. Who? That's exhausting to that think is. about. It, well, it is. It's exhausting to live it. But also one thing that has gotten a little exhausting too for some people is the constant use of slut-shaming as sort of the jumping-off point to comment on things. And that is a really an eloquent way of this question of okay, are we now overusing this term? Is everything now Slut shaming. Can we ever critique female sexuality in a healthy way
2: and it not be slut shaming? Right. I mean, a couple of writers have talked about this, including Callie Buseman over at Jezebel, who wrote that all too often slut shaming is used to police women for policing other women, which is just hypocritical. And Buseman and others call for a more open dialogue and an acknowledgement that, okay, you're doing one thing and you think it one way and you're doing another thing and think another way and it's okay if people disagree. It's better to, like you said, open that dialogue and actually have a healthy critique of, you know, whether it's pop culture or just sexuality or whatever. It's better to have that conversation and say, okay, well, I disagree with you, but here's why and what do you think, than to just immediately shut down the conversation with, well, that's slut-shaming, so your opinion doesn't matter. Right, because it always points the finger to the woman. Right. And I mean, the the examples where this
3: really came up big time were after Sinead O'Connor wrote that open letter to Miley Cyrus post MTV VMAs with with the twerking, as the kids say. And then when Rashida Jones went on a bit of a tweet fest and also wrote a glamour essay all about how, uh, you know, female celebrities and pop stars essentially need to cover up. And that is very much paraphrasing her. And so that was then flipped around on both Sinead O'Connor and Rashida Jones as saying, hey, stop being so slut-shaming
2: and sex negative. Right. And I mean, you could argue that certain things could have been phrased better in either one of those essays, but I mean, the point remains that you have... Two women, Sinead O'Connor and Rashida Jones, who have very certain types of perspectives and they're allowed to have those perspectives. Um, but certain other people definitely felt attacked when those opinions were presented.
3: Yeah. For instance, one of uh, Rashida Jones, the, the tweet really that started this whole Rashida Jones debacle involved her calling, referring to these women as dressing like whores. Yeah. So. Doing the whole like horror thing, not a not a great move, but I think that it is valid for her and say Sinead O'Connor and whomever else to critique representations of women in pop culture. Like, what is, what are we kind of? collectively worshipping.
2: Right, because they both do, however eloquently or ineloquently, bring up the idea that you can't forget the context in which these conversations are occurring and in which these music videos or fashion shows or whatever you're looking at are occurring, which is that same patriarchal structure. I'm just, I'm picturing like a pergola, a <laughs> uh, patriarchal pergola, uh, in, in which we're all having some sort of, uh, awful patriarchal cocktail party, where we think that if we dress a certain way or act a certain way, we are freeing ourselves and being empowered when people like Sinead O'Connor are saying, you're just playing to those puppet masters, those pergola, patriarchal pergola puppet
3: masters. Yeah, because that's the thing, too. We, we haven't even and won't have time to even get into the clothes issue. Mm-hmm. But cover up is never the answer to any of this. I think it's it's a lot more... In instructive, perhaps, to dig into, let's, let's remember where this word slut comes from Mm -hmm. and where the problem really arises. And to me, that comes up a lot with the classism and racism inherently tied up with it. And so when it comes to this question of like, well, why don't we just reclaim this word? Why don't we, it's fine. We're, we're just, Women on the go. We're on birth control. We have our IUDs. We can be sluts, too, and it can be fine. But, no.
2: yeah. Yeah, I think my feelings can can definitely be summed up about the uh, multifaceted negative connotations of this word by Farrah Tannis. She's the executive director of Black Women's Blueprint. And she wrote, if people really put their minds to it, they could probably reclaim the word slut." But for me, I wouldn't want to, because reclaiming means that it was yours in the first place. And the word slut is not something that I created for myself. It's something that was created for a particular purpose, and the purpose wasn't to serve me. And I think that touches on issues of class and race, which are so inherent in the word and its use and evolution. And when it comes to that class factor, too, it's very much
3: alive and well in its usage today, especially when it comes to reciprocal slut shaming. And this was demonstrated um, by a pair of sociologists who essentially tracked girls on a college campus and found highly class stratified patterns of slut shaming, where you have wealthier girls who are usually in sororities who would tend to specifically slut shame less wealthy girls who were not in sororities, but then also the less wealthy women doing the same thing to the wealthier women, saying they're just rich sluts, whatever. But when it came to the power dynamics, those wealthier women's slut shaming was more damaging.
2: Yeah. And it's it's interesting to look at the hierarchies that these sociologists reported on because the wealthier or better off college women considered sluts to be trashy, lower class women. Whereas if you look at the less wealthy, non-sorority women on campus, they considered sluts to be the rich bees in sororities because each of them had a different definition of what was trashy and slutty that did not include themselves. And so this freed them up to act however they so chose to act while still being able to police the behavior of women who were different from them.
3: Well, and then, too, when we I mean, you, you've already touched on this, but when you move into the race factor, this came up big time mm-hmm. with the slut walk movement that was really on fire a few years ago, and we did a podcast about it, and black women really wanted nothing to do with it because of how that word has related to them historically as black women, and We cited in that podcast on Slut Walks, Susan Britton's open letter from black women to Slut Walk organizers, which said, quote, We do not have the privilege or space to call ourselves slut without validating the already historically entrenched ideology and recurring messages about what and who the black woman is. We don't have the privilege to play on destructive representations burned in our collective minds, on our bodies and souls, for generations, and that's a big reason why. In a more recent article in the New York Times by Anna Holmes, asking this question of "Can we reclaim slut?" and she interviews Leora Tannenbaum about her new book, and the answer is still kind of shakes out to be no, for these same kinds of reasons. Of hey, this
2: is this is loaded with a lot of garbage. It is loaded with a lot of garbage. Just it's it's it has never ceased to be an ugly. Word And I and I understand I absolutely understand the impetus behind wanting to reclaim it and grab it from the hands of the people who use it to try to oppress you or check your behavior or police the way you look, act, think, feel, whatever. But I just don't know that calling yourself and your friends or anyone a slut is the answer
3: to that. And it's certainly not going to be our path to eradicating slut shaming and and this is a poor analogy but to me it's like telling women that hey you know what's going to cure rape culture Us just telling rape jokes all the time if we just like make it funny then it'll be fine yeah then it'll just stop because we'll be like it'll take the sting out of it like nope that hasn't happened at all yeah so i i I don't know the answer to what's going to stop slut shaming i think that us Stopping calling each other sluts as Tina Fey told us to do in Mean Girls a long time ago is yeah. a good start.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good start. But I mean, we have so much sort of digging to do in terms of really unpacking how we feel about sexuality of, of both men and women. Yeah. And, and trying to, trying to, um, not change how people think. Although that would be nice. But but just to just to become aware that we even have these prejudices, these these feelings, these negative feelings about how women even move through this world. And on an individual level, keeping ourselves accountable
3: for the policing behavior that we may consciously or even subconsciously
2: act, Right. Because like you said at the beginning of the podcast, Kristen, slut shaming does not have to involve me calling someone a slut. All it has to do is involve me criticizing someone's skirt for being too short or something along those lines. And then I have effectively slut shamed someone yeah. and I have played into this patriarchal pergola.
3: Not the patriarchal pergola, Caroline. No. Well, we definitely want to hear from listeners about this momstuffathowstuffworks.com is our email address. Do you have the brilliant plan of how we can finally end slut shaming? Do you think that it's a term that can be reclaimed? And I'm curious, too, for parents with kids, is this something that you think about as well, especially if you have girls? Like, does slut shaming play any role in your at-home sex education? want to know all of your thoughts and perspectives, at momstuffathowstuffworks.com, again, is our email address. You can tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a letter here about our episode on lady lawyers and how they dress. Speaking of slut shaming, that definitely happens in the courtroom. And this was from Monique, who is currently a law student in her third year of law school. And she said, I was so happy to hear that you decided to tackle the lady lawyer dress issue. I, too, have faced the frustrations around what to wear in the courtroom and even at work. But. There were a couple of issues I think you missed out on. First, the regional differences in what is appropriate for courtware. For example, in Florida, what would be appropriate in a Miami courthouse is much different than what would be appropriate in a Jacksonville courthouse or a courthouse in the Panhandle. This is also true between states. I recently went to a conference with students from different states and found that in some areas wearing brightly colored suits or shoes is not frowned upon. The general rule of thumb is the more liberal a location, the more liberal the rule of dress. I was told by mentors to always, if at all possible, sit on a court case for the judge you will be trying a case before to get the general rules of that courtroom. Every judge is a bit different and it's best to be prepared with the clothing that they will receive you the best in. The other issue I think you missed on is hair. As a woman of color, I'm especially sensitive on issues of hair in the courtroom. The general argument I've heard is that nothing in your appearance should distract from the law you are presenting. This means that for most women of color, you must have your hair permed. While I've seen a few black female attorneys with natural hair, it's few and far between. Perming my hair was a decision I made on my own early in my life, so continuing it isn't as much of a hardship as for women who come to law school and then decide they have to do it. The legal field is uniquely behind the times. But as the influx of more females come into the field, hopefully some of these issues will be fixed. So thanks, Monique, and good luck with the rest of law school.
2: And I have a letter here from Rachel. She says, I live in Morganton, West Virginia, and I'm a regular listener and lover of your podcast. I have so many favorites and recommend your podcast to almost everyone I know. Thank you, Rachel. She goes on to say this Valentine's Day, a lot of women are going to see Fifty Shades of Grey, which got me and my gal pals chatting about the series. Though I've only read the first book, I found the story to be just as Lisa Wilkinson put it, quote, domestic violence dressed up as erotica. I personally thought it was poorly written and have read accounts from BDSM community members stating that it's a completely wrong portrayal of their community. The pre-ticket sales for this movie are record-breaking, which had us all talking about rape culture, and we all agreed that this would be something awesome to hear from you gals. Well, Rachel, you'll be happy to hear that not only have Kristen and I received a lot of letters about this very same topic, but we have now put it on our two-podcast list, and that episode will be coming to you very soon.
1: That's right.
3: Kink Week is happening in March on Stuff Mom Never Told You, so tune in or... Maybe just now be a little weirded out. (laughs) So if you have letters or requests for us, momstuffathowstuffworks.com is our email address and links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with our sources so you can read up as well all about slut-shaming. Head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com.